Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week one, day four of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 2, 14-41. Well, welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. And before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read the book of Acts once a week for the next 10 weeks. If you go through and you read the whole book of Acts once a week, every 10 weeks, you can have it read to you in the car on your commute. Um, this is a really powerful way to get the book of Acts in you, to get God's word in you. You you do this on repeat and you will be amazed at just how God's word comes alive when you read it like this. All right, with that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, let's go and jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. We've got a long passage to read today, so I'm going to go through it relatively quickly. This is Acts 2, starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I have um, an old college professor that used to talk about this passage, and he'd be like, I live in a, a large college town, and, and he's like, uh, they're not drunk because it's only nine in the morning. And he'd be like, again, I live in a college town. How, how is this convincing? <laughs> but but seriously, I mean, back then, nobody, not even the, the drunkest of the town drunk would have been drunk at nine in the morning. Or verse 16. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to pause right there because what he just said is, it can be easy to pass over all of that. I want to real quick go back through and break this down line by line because this really is important. What he's saying here, um, Peter is initially saying, listen, this is what the prophet Joel was saying. God is going in the last days, going to pour out his spirit on everybody, on men and women. That's a big, big statement that he's made right there because in the rabbinic Jewish rabbis ideals and, 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 and tradition, the Lord would not have used a woman in this way. And so this prophecy from Joel is a really strange one given the the context and the culture of, of what we read about rabbinic tradition. Now, I am superimposing what is written in the Talmud, how they thought about things on the first century. Um, not all of the Talmud was written in the first century, but there is some of it where that is is, is very much indicative of how they thought. 
it doesn't necessarily mean a hundred percent that that's how they, they treated people, how they thought of people. We even see in the Bible, how they would treat women at times. And so they weren't thought of highly. We'll just say that. And the, the, when you read the Talmud, the early rabbinic tradition, they, they did not think highly of women. So this is a big deal for the Lord in the old Testament. be saying, I'm going to pour my spirit on women. They're going to prophesy too. They're going to be like, prophets. The only person we find like that anywhere in the Old Testament is Deborah. So she was a judge and a prophetess. Right? But outside of that, we don't see that anywhere else. And the Lord is essentially saying, I'm going to I'm gonna take all of my people and make them like Elijah's, make them like Deborah's. Men and women, they're going to prophesy. That's a huge statement if we understand that in terms of what an Old Testament Jewish person would have understood that to mean when Joel says that, that's big. And Peter's saying that's happening right now. Young and old men and women, the Lord is pouring out his spirit on them and they're becoming like Elijah, this man of God whom the Lord speaks directly with. He's like, that's what you're seeing happening. Now, the next part of this, as he says in verse 19, I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. We have to remember that on the, on the day that Jesus was crucified, right, there was an earthquake. There was a massive earthquake, and it said that the veil was torn from top to bottom in the temple. But there was a massive earthquake, and that even some of the graves were shaken open, and people who had been dead in those graves came back to life and came and talked to people. That was a crazy day. Also, the sun was turned to darkness, right? It was dark for a long time on the day that Jesus was crucified. So Peter is talking about stuff that they saw happen. Now, this this thing of the, the moon turned to blood, right? Verse In verse 20, um, a very interesting thing, and and so I uh, I like to reference this whenever we talk about this. The professor that I was uh, speaking of earlier, his name is uh, Rick Larson. He's a professor at Texas A and M University. He was actually a law professor. He was a lawyer, but one day he got very fascinated by the Bethlehem Star. So he did a bunch of astronomical research, and. Uh, I believe did some very fascinating things. I'll link to it in the, the description, but it's the Bethlehem star. If you look that up, you'll find his presentation on it. Part of his presentation is he discovered on this day, when you use the dating that he uses for the Bethlehem star, which I believe is accurate, and you carry that forward, you find on April 3rd, in, in our modern calendar, if you look back on April 3rd, 33 AD, uh, essentially the day... Uh, before Passover, the day, Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified. <clears throat> it is on April 3rd, 33 AD. It is the day before a Passover celebration. And in Jerusalem, if you were standing in Jerusalem, you would have seen a full moon rise in lunar eclipse. Full lunar eclipse. It would have risen that night at, at dusk the moon would have risen in a lunar eclipse. So it would have been a blood moon. That was, that's the, the old ancients term for a lunar eclipse is a blood moon. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that the moon is literally turned to bread. It means it's, it's red. Um, that's a, that's a, a technical description, if you will, of, of how they would have uh, defined a lunar eclipse and if that day was April 3rd, 33 AD, which is about right, 
there was a lunar eclipse on that day. So Peter is describing to them all of the events they had seen 50 days previous. He's describing all of these things. He's saying, Joel told you about this, right? All of these things you saw happen 50 days ago. Now what you're seeing is you're seeing the Holy Spirit poured out on men and women, young and old. This is the prophet Joel. That's what he's saying to them. So verse 21, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, but you will, let, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you see, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's a big statement right there. This is something that Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees. He's like, He's like, who is the Messiah? And they said, well, it's the son of David. And he's like, well, how can, if he's the son of David, right? Because they're understanding again, when we put our, ourselves in their mindset, um, the, the your descendants are not looked at you as greater than you. And if you, you always look at your ancestors as greater than you, your descendants are always less, lesser than you. That's how they thought about this. And so Jesus asked them, well, how can David say to the Messiah, if he's his descendant, how can he say the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, right? He's, he's talking about the Messiah. They understood that the, the Pharisees, the, the, the Sadducees, the, the Sanhedrin, they understood that the Messiah, that David was talking about the Messiah in this passage. And he says, the Lord says to my Lord, so it's like, how can he be David's Lord? If he's if he's his descendant, and they're like, oh, they're scratching their heads, they're like, I don't know, I haven't really thought about that. Um, this is a very perplexing thing for them, and so th this is a big deal that he's saying, you know, that this holy one wouldn't see decay, right? It's 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 and it's very interesting the way that that's put in the Old Testament because we understand from the prophecies in the book of Daniel and Isaiah that this Messiah, he was going to come and he's going to rule on a throne in Jerusalem, but he was also going to die. He was going to die, but his body wouldn't see decay. 
all of these things, when you put all of these things together, there it's, it's a very mysterious, um, way that the Lord has revealed all of this. When we look at all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, they all point to this idea that the Messiah, he's going to forever sit on David's throne and rule in Jerusalem. Forever he'll be there. He'll be David's descendant, but he's also going to die, but his body at the same time won't see decay. So like, how do you put all of that together unless it's actually this Jesus who comes in this miraculous conception, the immaculate conception comes into earth um, and is uh, perfect in every way on earth and then is is crucified, dies, but three days later raises back to life and is alive forevermore, ascends to heaven and promises that he's going to come back to fulfill the part where he says he's going to rule and reign on the throne of Jerusalem forever. He fulfills all of these things perfectly. The problem for these first century Jews and even Jews to this day, because they believe the testimony of the first century Jews is they didn't like Jesus because he didn't honor them. He called them whitewashed tombs and he, he, he saw through them and saw their, their politics and their, their ambition and, and their greed and their lusts. He saw all of these things and he called them out on it. They thought that if the Messiah came, the Messiah is going to be like, hey, boys, thanks for holding down the throne. Come join my army and you're in charge. You're going to be my right hand guys. That's what they're expecting. And when this guy that they know is claiming to be the Messiah says the opposite, it's like you guys are screwed up and I don't want anybody to have anything to do with you. Uh, that made them jealous and angry. And, and that's essentially why they killed Jesus, because they weren't they weren't being invited to be part of it. They were actually told they were wrong for their their ambitions and their greeds and their lusts and all of these different things. Uh, And so they, they had him killed. They had this done to him. All right, let's continue on verse 35. Till you, I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, I want to pause right there. Nobody at any point has been cut to the heart by this all throughout Jesus's ministry, right? He's alluding to the fact that he's the Messiah. People are thinking he's the Messiah. That makes people angry. That's that's caused people to say crucify him. They killed him. They put him to death. Nobody's been cut to the heart by this. Nobody's been cut to the heart by this. For 50 days, you know, it would seem that nobody's really all that upset about Jesus being crucified. They saw, but Peter gets up on this day and he tells them all of that crazy stuff that you saw the day before Passover when Jesus was crucified. Because you were all here. You were all here for the Passover. You stayed for Pentecost. You all saw it with your eyes. This is what Joel prophesied. And when they understand that, when Peter puts it in that context, they're like, holy cow, we killed the Messiah. All of the people who have told themselves, if we had been alive, I mean, this is something that that Jesus quoted them saying. So there was a, it was a, a semi-common quote amongst uh, religious elite and, and devout people. If we had been alive during the times of the prophets, we would not have put them to death. 
And as Jesus said, someone greater than the prophets is here. Not only did they put a prophet to death, they put the Messiah, the Son of God, to death. And as soon as Peter tells them all of this, their eyes are open to exactly what they have done. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to say also, the Holy Spirit is not a New Testament concept. We see many times in the Old Testament where the Lord pours out the Holy Spirit at certain times. The Holy Spirit falls on people. The Holy Spirit even falls on King Saul, and he prophesies at times. Um, The Holy Spirit is not some new idea or term that they were unfamiliar with. Some people have made it the case that this Holy Spirit is a completely new idea in the New Testament. It's just not. The Holy Spirit very clearly, very clearly, explicitly says multiple times in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would fall on people at different times. What is different and what Christians understand to be different starting from this day forward is that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells. The Holy Spirit would fall on people. The Holy Spirit would rest on people in the Old Testament for a period of time. Then it seems like he would lift. That's the understanding that we have of the Holy Spirit's operation in the Old Testament. What we see from the day of Pentecost on, what it seems like changed is that the Holy Spirit is now the thing that indwells a Christian from that point on is there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now we still see at different times, even in the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit falls in a more manifest way where miracles, signs and wonders, and someone is resting under the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that there is, is, is this exceptional presence of the Holy Spirit that seems very much exactly the way it was in the Old Testament. But what's different is Peter is saying very clearly, Jesus said he was going to send the Holy Spirit to us. He sent him and he's indwelling within us. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us now. That is a very different thing. It's a very different concept. And um, most Christians of, of race, creed, color, whatever, almost universally believe this. And it seems very clear here from the book of Acts that that's exactly what the Lord is doing is he is giving us the Holy the Holy Spirit is going to indwell us if we believe in Jesus. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It's such a strange thing to say, right? Peter's essentially told them, hey, you killed the Messiah. Um, Let me plead with you to save yourself from this corrupt generation. He is calling them corrupt. He's calling their leadership corrupt. I mean, he is... It's, he's letting them have it, right? They just killed Jesus for 
I would say words that were sweeter than this. Jesus was at times with the Pharisees, especially and the Sadducees, but mostly the Pharisees, really. He was, he, he was pretty pointed and he was blunt, not, I don't want to say that he wasn't nice um, because he was being as kind as possible because he was telling them the truth, but they wouldn't have felt, they wouldn't have thought it was kind for them. It didn't feel kind. It didn't feel nice. It was blunt and rude and, and angry the way they would have perceived it. And they, they, they essentially put Jesus to death for less than this. Peter's getting up in this boldness and he's saying, you did it. Save yourself from this, right? You would think if it's the same group of people under the same influences, they'd be like, oh, off with his head too. Let's kill him. Let's crucify this Peter. And let's see what happens in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Peter gets up and he just scorches them. He berates them. He lets them have it. And 3,000 people become believers. This is huge. This, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe fully that Jesus could have done the same thing. He was operating even more powerfully under the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit himself, God the Father. He, I don't, he could have done this. He died. He rises again. He tells them to wait. And he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. And their preaching is going to be more effective than Jesus's was. It's not because they were better preachers than Jesus. It's because the Lord chose his people to work through. He chose us for partnership. And that's what's happening with starting here with Peter and the rest of the book of Acts. You could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but it's always traditionally, the name of the book is always called the Acts of the Apostles. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see a divine partnership between God and man. And that's what this book is going to be. The book of Acts is going to be a partnership of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Saints. The things that they did under the power of the Holy Spirit from this point on, that's what we're going to see in this book. This is the Holy Spirit indwelling his people and doing amazing things. Amazing things that you and I are still called to to this day to go out and seek and save those that are lost to make disciples of every nation, every ethnos, every people group under heaven. That is what we were called to, the same as what was going on in this day. And we have the same indwelling Holy Spirit if you've believed in Jesus that they had in this day. We need to see the, ourselves in this book. We need to see our contemporary moments in time, our churches, our cities, our, our workplaces. We need to see them in light of what goes on in this book. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-week Bible study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.